0: Well, two weeks from now, Lisa and I will um, celebrate our eight-year anniversary, and uh, <laughs> I uh, thank you. I bring that up because I want to tell you a story that happened almost exactly eight years ago, and I did tell this story for the first time last year, um, but enough of you haven't heard it. And it's related to what we're going to be talking about today. It's um, day one of our marriage. And just as a disclaimer going into this, I am not lying. So, um, leading up to our marriage, eight years ago, uh, I asked Lisa if if she would let me plan the honeymoon by myself as a secret and surprise her. And she said, okay, sure, go for it. So I did, and... um, I, uh, I contacted this travel agency, and I, I set up this, this week in Costa Rica, and, and everything seemed good. I bought some plane tickets. Everything seemed good, and um, they told me that they would send me the official itinerary, um, and it came a week before our wedding, and that week was a very busy week with different things related to the wedding, and so I kind of just printed it out and threw it in a suitcase I glanced at it for a second, but I was like, you know what, I don't even need a schedule until we're in Costa Rica, right? So I just threw it in the suitcase. Uh well we got married and we were off we were to Costa Rica. And uh uh we arrived there around around ten PM and we went to the rental car place uh to, to pick up the the Jeep and, and go to our first hotel and uh I had remembered glancing at the itinerary as I printed it out, and I thought for sure it said 45 minutes to our first hotel. Uh, but I looked more closely as I walked in, and it said four hours and 45 minutes. By the time we are at the rental car place, it was about 11, doing all the paperwork. And I, I told the people where I was going, and uh, they said, ooh, <laughs> uh, that road is rough. It was a road that uh, winded through the mountains, and when you weren't up high, when you were down here, it was like kind of tropical, jungle-ish kind of feel, and it was this one-lane road at some times, and kind of bumpy, and they said, you know, I would really think twice about going tonight, and I'm like, ah, I got it, right? And I figured Lisa could sleep in the car, so off we were. it was a stick shift, and admittedly, it, it had been a while since I drove stick shift. So we got in, and it was like, mm, 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 you know, and we're winding up and down this road, up and down, up and down, and, and sure enough, around uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, Lisa hadn't been able to sleep, um, and she asked me to pull over because she was going to throw up. And so I pulled over, and uh, nothing happened. And I found out later that she had fainted and uh, that, she, that uh, sometimes she faints with her eyes open. And so nothing happened. And then I look over and here we are in the middle of uh, Costa Rica, in the middle of this mountain range, in the middle of the night with no cell phones uh, during that time. And I look over at Lisa and she's like this. And, and I'm like, oh no. And so I, I, I start shaking her and, and uh, calling out her name like, Lisa, 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 Lisa. And it, it went on like that for like a minute or two, which doesn't seem like long, but when someone is like that, it's like forever. And I was actually starting to get out of the car to try CPR or something when she came to. And uh, she told me that, that this sometimes happens. So I'm like, okay. All right. So then, we decided we were closer to the hotel at this point than the airport. So we kept driving and about we're winding, 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 winding. About an hour later, she's like, OK, I think I need you to pull over uh, again because I think I really am going to throw up this time. So this time I'm trying to be extra cautious. So I, I get out of the Jeep and I'm going to let her out. But I did not know that as I got out of the Jeep, she got out on her side. But mid step, as she opened the door and stepped out, she fainted. So that she rolled down into the ditch next to the road, and it had started raining. I'm not making this up. So it was just like this trench of mud. And I didn't see it happen. I was on the other side of the car, so I I come around the car, and I'm like, where's Lisa? (laughs) And I looked down into the ditch, and and there she was with her unconscious and her eyes open and uh, covered head-to-toe in mud, so I uh, did what any husband would do, and I scooped down and picked her up like, you know, that classic bride picture and, <laughs> and uh, held her uh, as she was covered in mud and the rain is coming down on our faces. And, and uh, finally, she came to and um, was thoroughly confused. And uh, we got back into the Jeep and drove to our, uh, our our destination. We finally got there about an hour later. And uh, the funny thing was, it was like this kind of fancy place. And so they greeted us with these little moist towels to refresh our faces, right? And Lisa's walking up, and she's just like, lots of mud. So, anyway, that was uh, day one of our marriage, and uh, it, it really went up from there. Um, so, forgive me for that longer story, but... I wanted to share it with you because I learned a critical life lesson that day. The importance of preparation. I had neglected to be as prepared as I should have been. I think I could have made different plans if I would have looked at the itinerary. So I learned that day the importance of preparation. And that really applies to all areas of our life. And this morning, we will see how the importance of preparation applies to our witness. One of the most famous uh, verses on being a witness is found in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. I think I have it here, Oscar. On, On being a witness is found in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. It says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I mean, that verse is awesome about being a witness all around. But in the middle, right there, it says, in essence, always be prepared to be a witness. This morning, I don't want us to think we have to be completely prepared before we can be a witness, because we never will be. But I do want us to see that preparation is important in all this. So today we'll follow the case of Peter and Cornelius to see one example of what preparation in our witness looks like. We're in our witness series where we're looking at different people all throughout Scripture to give us concrete examples of what we can learn in our lives about being a witness. So, what can we learn from Peter and Cornelius about preparation in our witness? Let's turn to Acts chapter 10. We'll do the whole chapter. And once again, I, I'd like to retell it this morning, but, I, but I'd ask for you that if you're able, if you could follow along in the passage. Acts chapter 10, we'll do the whole passage, the whole chapter. This is Peter and Cornelius. Day one. We see Cornelius, he was a Roman centurion, which means he commanded about 600 to 1,000 Roman soldiers. And he was stationed in a coastal town called Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was one of those people that just everybody liked him. He was well respected by all, well loved by all. He was a, a man of integrity. People looked up to him. And there's also something more that we find out about him. He, It seems that he had found the Roman imperial religion, even the religion of the Roman soldiers. They had their own special religion. He had found it to leave him empty. And so he started looking for answers to his soul-searching questions elsewhere. And actually, um, he had come to Judaism. He was called a God-fearer which during that time was a technical term for someone who was interested in Judaism, even committed to the God that they worshipped, and yet still not fully in. He was still on the outside looking in. And yet we see he was devoted to some of their basic tenets. He gave generously to people in need. That's what alms are. He gave generously to people in need. And he was developing this Committed life of prayer. You see, something was stirring inside of Cornelius. He was praying. He was seeking God. In fact, even right now we see him in prayer. He's praying. It's, it's 3 p.m. in the afternoon. He's, he's praying and, and all of a sudden he sees this vision of an angel step into the room. And he's like, huzza boo boo, goo gaga. You're so cute with your little bow and arrow. Bink! No, he's terrified. He's like, what is it, Lord? And the angel says, Cornelius, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before the Lord. In other words, your prayers have been heard. And this is the answer. This is the answer to your heart's desire to know God. God's going to send you the gospel. And this is significant for two reasons. Number one, just think about it. He was a good man. And so it shows that even good people need the gospel. And number two, on a, more, on a more macro level, this is the first time that the gospel would come to the Gentile people officially. There had been exceptions here and there of individuals, but this is the first time that the gospel was going to break into the Gentile world and it was going to start with Cornelius and his household. Cornelius, of all people. God heard his prayers. But but how is this going to happen? The angel tells him, send some messengers to Joppa and find a man named Simon who goes by Peter. He's staying with another Simon who's a tanner who has a house by the sea. And then the angel was gone. And so quickly, uh, Cornelius calls to him, uh, his messengers, and he says, Hey, uh, I need you to go to Joppa, find this guy. He, He also calls one of his most trusted soldiers, and he sends the three men off, and off they go to find Peter. Day two. Peter is walking up on top of a rooftop patio to pray at about noon. He doesn't know... That there are already men on the way to find him. You see, things have already been set in motion. And he doesn't even realize it. God's already working behind the scenes. He's just praying. And so at about noon, he gets down and he's praying. And, uh, oh, he gets that, that hungry feeling. You know, that one where it feels like your stomach is starting to eat itself? He gets that hungry feeling. And so the people downstairs are starting to make lunch. It's not like they can toss up a Cliff Bar. It takes a while. And so what he does is just pushes through the hungry feeling and continues to pray. And as he's praying, he too sees a vision. And interestingly enough, it's a vision of food. Right? And so he's, what he sees is this um, this thing with four corners. Um, he's not quite sure what it is. Uh, it's maybe something like a sheet. I like to think of it as a griddle um, descending from heaven and coming right in front of him. And, and there's all these animals on it. Like a smorgasbord for a hungry man, right? Only here's the thing. They were unclean animals. You see, there are certain animals that Jewish people would not eat. There they they were clean animals and there were unclean animals. And if you eat an unclean animal, you are defiled. It was part of the Old Testament ceremonial law. It's part of what made them distinct, separated as a people. But a voice from heaven says to him, Rise, Peter. Kill and eat. In other words, bacon. Bacon is up for grabs. Lechon is up for grabs. Uh, iguana is up for grabs. It says there was reptile on there. So it's a delicacy in some places. Iguana, up for grabs. And, and Peter, you know Peter, he's like, by no means, Lord, because I have never eaten anything common and unclean. Maybe he thinks this is a test. But the voice comes back to him and says, What God has made clean, let no one call unclean. So this happens three times. Seems like uh, things always come in threes for Peter. He denied the Lord three times. Three times the Lord came back to him and said, Peter, do you love me? And now he sees this vision three times. And I think here the emphasis is, Three in the Hebrew mindset is the number of permanence. It's a permanent fixture. God is not saying that this is just something I'm letting you do temporarily. No, from here on out, God is decreeing that this will permanently stand. What He has made clean, do not call unclean. Something new is happening here. And so Peter is left just trying to wrap his mind around this vision. And as he's thinking about it, the men show up at the at the outside gate looking for him. Apparently, people could find their destinations uh, without Google. And so they get there and they're looking for him, and it says again in verse 19, look at it. It repeats this twice. As Peter was pondering the vision. In other words, there's something connected with Peter's vision and the fact that these three guys are at the door. As Peter is trying to figure out the meaning of this vision, the Spirit says to him, there's three men looking for you. Rise and go accompany them. Go with them. Go wherever they're taking you, because I have sent them. Interestingly, he's not told what kind of men they are. So Peter goes down the outside staircase and, He sees a Roman soldier, and he realizes they're Gentiles. And so the light starts turning on for him. What God has made clean, let no one call unclean. So he goes up to them and says, I'm the one that you're looking for. How can I help you? And um, they say to him, they tell him about the vision Cornelius had, and they say, hey, um... In the vision, the holy angel said to bring you back to Caesarea with us, to go to Cornelius' house. And we need to understand that normally a Jewish person would not go to a Gentile house for fear of being made unclean. But what God has called clean, let no one call unclean. So Peter says, yes, I'll go. Maybe the words even surprised him as they came out of his mouth. He invites them inside. It's a long journey, so they'll need to leave first thing in the morning. Day three. They travel the whole day. They travel up the Mediterranean coast. They probably stay the night somewhere along the way. It was a two-day journey. Day four. They arrive in Caesarea. And in the meantime... Cornelius has been busy. He invited his relatives and he invited his friends. You see, he wanted people to hear this message about God. So he invited people. Not out of guilt, not out of obligation. He really wanted people to hear about how to know God. So he invited them. He packed the house. And so, uh, Peter and the three men finally start approaching the house and here comes Cornelius, this big centurion running up towards Peter and he, he falls on the ground and begins to pay homage to him. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. No, please, please, please stand up. I'm not awesome. I'm just a guy. And then Peter steps inside the house and he says to them, uh, you know, that, uh, that this wouldn't normally happen with a Jewish person. Um, you know that that according to our ceremonial law, I would not typically be standing here, but God has shown me to not call any person unclean. He's figuring it out. This is not about food. This is about something more. But then he says, uh, so why am I here? interesting so Peter or Cornelius speaks up and says he tells him about the vision that he got and he says and you were so kind as to come you're here you're actually here and now we are all in the presence of God to hear the message he has given you to tell us and it seems like that's when Peter gets it that's when the light finally turns on oh I'm supposed to be a witness to the Gentiles Jesus has broken down the dividing wall. It's no longer about food that makes people clean or unclean, but ultimately that was fulfilled in Jesus, and Jesus makes anyone clean. He's getting it. And so he says, now, now I understand that God shows no partiality, but anyone who does, who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to him. In other words, Anyone, anyone can come to Him. It's not about one nation. He is Lord of all, He says. His arms are open to all. Anyone can come to Him. It does not matter who you are. As to the message that He sent to Israel, the one that was entrusted to us to give to others, it's the good news of peace Through Jesus. In other words, our hearts were made for a relationship with God. And yet sin entered the picture and and ruptured that relationship. And so as a result, there is this deep lack of peace, lack of ultimate satisfaction, this unsettledness in our souls. But Jesus came to bring us back to God. To give us peace with God that flows into our lives and flows into our relationships with others. That's the good news of peace through Jesus. And he says, as for you, you know all that Jesus did in his ministry in Judea. It didn't happen in the dark. Everybody knew about what Jesus was doing, how it began. His public ministry began with the baptism that John the Baptist proclaimed And how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. In other words, he was the anointed one. He was the Messiah. And his powerful life proved it. And he went around doing good. I love that. I love that part. Here's a summary of uh, of Jesus' ministry on earth. He went around doing good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. God was with him like no one else ever before. He was different and we, we were witnesses to these things. I, I was with him. I, I saw when he, when he gave those people who couldn't see, I saw how he gave them sight. When, when those people who could not hear, I saw how he made them hear those people who could not walk. I, I saw them stand on their feet and begin to walk. Those people who were afflicted by demons. I saw them. I saw them healed. I saw people forgiven of their sins and set free. I saw people who were rejected be brought in. I saw I was with him. I was with him all throughout the country of the Jews. And finally in Jerusalem. And they put him to death. By hanging him on a tree. That cursed tree. On the third day, God raised him up and and he appeared to us and and we are witnesses of these things. I saw it with my own eyes. I I walked with him. We, We ate and drank with him. He wasn't a ghost. He was dead. But then he was back. He was fully alive and he He commanded us. He told us to share this with everyone. He he told us to preach and to testify that He's the one that God appointed to be judge of the living and the dead. Eternity rides on Him. And and He's the one that our, our prophets bear witness. All of our scripture points to Him with this message that everyone... Imagine the Gentiles hearing this. Everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Everyone. And then boom. That's all they needed to hear. They were ready. They believed. How do I know they believed? Because the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they even started speaking in tongues. And this is significant. Not because this is the way the Holy Spirit always comes up, but because it's the exact same wording, the exact same thing that happened in the original Pentecost. Some scholars call this the Gentile Pentecost. So God is communicating... In the exact same way that the original Jewish disciples have the spirit, these Gentiles have the spirit, they're not lesser, they're not second class citizens, they are fully brought in in the same way as the original Jewish disciples. What God has called clean, let no one call unclean. and so uh, Peter is in that room and he sees that um he sees that these Gentile Believers believe because they have the Spirit. And he says, who can prevent them from being baptized if they believe? So he pulls them aside and says, I um, I want you to prayerfully consider uh, the potential possibility of being baptized, maybe. No. I find this so interesting. Uh, he commanded. It says he commanded that they be baptized. In other words, he looked at them and said, hey, if if you believe, let's get you baptized. But you got to get baptized. And so that household, everyone who believed was baptized that day. Four days. Four days had gone by. And I'm sure that at the beginning of it, neither Peter nor Cornelius could have ever imagined what would have taken place. The one on on this side, not willing originally to go to a Gentile household. The other on this side, on the outside looking in, not even sure if God was hearing his prayers. And yet there was this witnessing breakthrough. So how does that happen? God had been working behind the scenes, preparing them to bring them to this point. You see, preparation had taken place both in God's work and also in their work. So looking back on all this, looking back on this whole chapter, what does this teach us about preparation in our witness? What does it look like? I think there's at least four lessons about what it means to be prepared in our witness. Four lessons about preparation in our witness. So let's dive in. Number one. Number one, preparation in our witness. Number one, preparation as a witness includes the hearts of others. You see, God was working behind the scenes. God was preparing Peter as a witness. But this chapter also shows us that God was preparing Cornelius, too, to receive Peter's witness. Behind the scenes, before Peter even got there, God had been at work preparing him in advance. He was ready. Cornelius was ready to hear and to respond. Isn't that encouraging this morning? How might God be working behind the scenes already in ways that we don't even know, preparing people to hear and to respond to him? He goes ahead of us, pursuing people, preparing people in advance. It reminds me of a, of a story from this book, um, one of my favorite books. I read it years ago about being a witness. It's called "Get the Word Out." And um, in this story, the author of the book is a um, was a intervarsity leader at UCLA, and the UCLA basketball team had made it to the national championship, and so they hosted this big gathering to kind of bring students in. And what they did is they uh, they made a basketball court out of masking tape on this carpeted ground. And so over the course of the night, piles and piles of UCLA students had come in, and they had stepped on the tape, they had danced on the tape, they had sweated on the tape, so that at the end of the night, after everyone had gone, they are trying to clean up this tape, and it was like deeply ingrained into every fabric of the carpet. So as they're trying to rip it up, it's like coming off in these tiny little pieces. And this guy's like, I'm going to be here all night. And so he's breaking it up little piece by little piece, and then he's called to respond to a crisis like over there. And uh, he comes back. He gets back to work and pulls the tape, and it's like, shh. And it's this huge strip, and, and he starts to, like, celebrate And then he looks at one of his students, and she's got this big smile on her face. And she's looking at him, and he found out that she had gone ahead of time and used her fingernails and reached in to kind of pull up the tape so that before he even got there, it was ready. She had gone in advance. And it's an an encouraging word that in our witness, God has gone ahead of us reaching into people's lives so that they're ready. I um how does this apply to us? I think um for us it's as simple as this, pray. And I know we said this uh, a few weeks ago. Um but I'm I'm pretty sure if um all we needed is to hear something once that we most of us would be perfect Christians, right? And so, I'll say it again, we need to pray. And I hope you're seeing common themes in this witness series, and one of them is to pray. We need to pray for God to be working in advance in the spiritual lives of those around us, that God would be working in the spiritual ground of those in our lives. I can testify to this. I remember uh, this one time years ago, uh, a few friends and I were going to go um, backpacking in Yellowstone, for like 10 days. And this one friend who was going. God just burdened my heart for him. And um, I didn't know where he was at spiritually. And so leading up to the trip. I just started to pray. And, and I just started to pray. That he would come ready. It's like God led me. To use those two words. Uh, and I just prayed. Come ready. That he would come ready. Day in. Day out. I prayed. I prayed that he would come ready. And, uh, and, uh, the trip finally arrived and I, I'm telling you, it's like he was a different person. And, uh, he had all these deep soul-searching questions the whole week and it's like all throughout the week we were having these deep spiritual conversations and it meant so much to me that I still pray that prayer for people. Come ready. I pray that prayer before Sunday mornings that people would come ready because God can do that in people's hearts. And let me just pause that as, a, as an aside here and say maybe that's you. Maybe you have come ready this morning. Maybe God has been pursuing you. And uh, if that is you, I just I just want to encourage you. Um, What's standing in your way of making a commitment Uh, to Christ today. And we just want to encourage you that he is pursuing you and at work in your life for you to come ready. So we need to be praying for the spiritual ground around us. And I want to encourage us that this does not just apply to us as individuals. Certainly praying for our family, certainly praying for where we work, certainly praying for our neighborhoods, but also as a church, praying for the spiritual ground around this location. And, um, I gotta tell you, I was so encouraged last week. Um, because after our time together, I got to see with my own eyes and hear people take immediate action as witnesses. And so just, I was just so encouraged by that, so excited by that. And so going into this sermon, I just thought, let's continue to take tangible steps. Let's continue to take action. I don't want this series to end without us taking action. So this is what I want to call us to. Something tangible that we can do. And next week is the official end of the witness series. And um, it's also the community barbecue for everyone in the community. So what I want to call us to is that the barbecue starts at 530. So, I want to invite everyone to come at 4 30 and do a prayer walk around this community. Um, we, we won't swarm it like, like a, like a swarm of locusts descending upon Logan Square, but probably break off in, in small little groups and just walk around and pray and pray for this community. Um, that God would be at work in the spiritual ground where He has placed us. And, um, And let's see what he does. And uh, we might even have some flyers that if we bump into anybody just to invite them to come to the barbecue. Everyone is invited. It's for the whole community. We just want to start the conversation. So prayer walk next Sunday at 430. Let's get going. Um, I know that was a long point. So number two, preparation as a witness includes an open heart. So we had number one, preparation as a witness includes the hearts of others. And number two, preparation as a witness includes an open heart. Why did Peter even receive this vision from God? Because God was preparing him to go to the Gentiles. Because up to this point, he had been closed in his witness to the Gentiles. And I don't think in a malicious way, he just hadn't seen yet that the gospel was for anyone and everyone. He hadn't seen yet that these people were a part of his witness. He said it himself. He said to them, I wouldn't have even come here had God not shown me otherwise. So, so God prepared Peter by opening his heart to people he had been close to. So I just want to cut to the chase. Are there people in our lives that we are close to as a witness? Maybe not maliciously. Maybe maliciously. But maybe not. Maybe we just haven't seen that our witness includes them. That our witness includes our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members who do not know Him. And so part of our preparation means coming before the Lord and asking Him to open our hearts to those around us. Open our hearts. And our witness, God, open my heart to my family members who don't know You. Open my heart to my coworkers. Open my heart to the people in my neighborhood. Open my heart to that one person I'm struggling with. God, I'm, I'm struggling to see that the that that, 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 this, that the same grace that was given to me is available to them. God, open my heart to this person. Help me not to be closed in my witness. And it also applies again to us as a church. Part of our preparation is asking God to open our hearts to people in this surrounding area. because you know what, uh, I don't live in this neighborhood. I live about as close as I can get, and um, even many of, many people here don't live in this neighborhood, but this this is our neighborhood as a church, of all places. This is where we have been rooted. This is the one place that we have in common. We might all come and go in different directions, but this is, this is where God has placed us. And I just I don't want to just travel to and fro here, right? I don't want to just meet here, but to minister here, uh, to be a witness here. Like this is our tiny piece of the puzzle of god's kingdom that is being spread all throughout the globe and i realize that yes it extends beyond that but it is at least this place this is our neighborhood here church and so the question is um are we closed as a witness to this surrounding area um and I think incredible things are happening. I think things are happening all the time by by people in our church that I am encouraged by. Um, but I think we can fully own this all the more. I think we can fully live into this all the more. I think we can invest intentionally in lives here all the more. Build into lives. The cool thing is there's people already doing this. So we can even just hop into their networks or even, I don't know, launch something new. But to be present in this community because church this is our neighborhood and so part of our witness means asking god to open our hearts to this area where he has placed us where we are rooted and again i want to tie this back to a prayer walk because what we find is that this is what happens as we start praying for people our hearts are burdened for them our hearts begin to open to them and so we need to be praying for this area. I want to call us. I mean, it seems like a simple thing, but I want us to have a way to take action. So let's do a prayer walk in a week. And let's ask God to open our hearts to this surrounding neighborhood. Okay. Preparation as a witness includes the hearts of others. Preparation as a witness includes an open heart. And number three, preparation as a witness includes time with God. What was Peter doing when God prepared him as a witness? He was praying. In fact, it wasn't even a regular time that Jewish people prayed. I wonder if Peter was stealing away time with God or if he just had his own additional time with God. Either way, it shows he had a value for time with God. And God uses this to prepare us as witnesses. I'm not saying wait until you have your time with God completely figured out and perfect and set before you can be a witness, but it certainly prepares us. It helps us be prepared. This is a common theme in some of the best stuff that I've read about being a missional missional people. It's about hearing from God through His Word. And hearing from God through prayer and just letting Him move in our hearts and shape us and refine us and direct us as witnesses and to stir the burning embers of our relationship with Him so we're more able to readily and naturally just share the overflow with others. And not only that, it's amazing how often um, God will use that thing that you read that morning or that thing that was impressed on your heart that morning in prayer. To witness to others. It just strengthens our witness all around. So if we want to go, if we want to grow as a, as a witness, I can't think of a better place to start. Tend our relationship with God. So again, I want to give you something tangible that you can do. If you do not have time with the Lord already set up as a rhythm in your life, this is what I want to challenge you with. Seven minutes a day. I know it does not seem like much. It's what the Navigators recommend who have been exclusively focusing on discipleship for decades. They say, if you don't have something, start with seven. Seven minutes a day, because it's better than nothing, and it's like the skeleton. And eventually, you know, you can flesh it out. You can build on more, but start with seven minutes a day, and let that be your rhythm. And some of you might say, I don't have seven minutes a day, but then I see your pictures all over Facebook. God, we can do this. We can do this. If you don't have something, seven minutes every single day and just see over time how God uses that, not only in your relationship with Him. Right? We don't just have a quiet time for the sake of our witness. It's its its about our relationship with Him. But as an overflow, how it just prepares us as a witness. Time with Him. Time being molded by Him, abiding in His presence. Okay. Preparation as a witness includes the hearts of others. It includes an open heart. It includes time with God. And lastly, preparation as a witness includes a clear message. All throughout this series, we've been seeing people um, point to God with what they know as a witness. Right? And that's definitely part of our witness. Just pointing to people... To God, with whatever we know. But throughout this series, I kept saying we will get to the point where we see someone lay out uh, fully and clearly the gospel. And here we are. Uh, Peter lays it out fully and clearly in verses 36 through 43. I need water for this. I mean, this is good. When we look at instances all throughout the New Testament, of people sharing the gospel. There is a core message. It's presented in all different kind of ways, depending on who you're talking to, uh, depending on the audience. And there's different emphases to bring out, but there is a core message. There is a heart of the gospel. And that's what we pick up here uh, in these verses. Peter um, Peter has the core message of the gospel. Um, I like how the author of this book, about being missional, breaks down this core message in three parts. And again, we see it in Peter's words, verses, um, what is it, 36 to 43. The three parts of the core message of the gospel. Number one, who is Jesus? Number one, who is Jesus? And Peter touches on that in verse 38. He tells about Jesus' life, who he was. He, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. It's about his life, about who Jesus was. Introducing people to the life of Jesus. Number one, who is Jesus? Number two, what did he do? What did Jesus do? In verses 39-40, through 40, Peter says, He was hung on a tree, but God raised him on the third day. In other words, it's about Jesus' death and resurrection. He paid the price for our sins and rose again to offer us new life with God, forgiven and free now and forever. Jesus' death and resurrection. And number three, what must we do? Because the gospel is not only information, it also is an invitation. It calls for a response. So number three, what must we do? In verse 43, Peter touches on the necessity of faith in Christ. He says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And I would like to say that faith includes turning our whole life to God. That's true faith. Otherwise, it's just like, yeah, I believe. And then living however we want no, true faith includes a turning of our life towards God to begin the journey of following him. So who is Jesus? His life. What did he do? His death and resurrection. And three, what must we do? Believe in him, turning our lives to God. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the core message. And then it's it's, it's, it's certainly um, presented in different ways with different emphases, but this is the heart. And part of our preparation means being clear on that. You know Do you, you know what I find interesting? Oscar, there's another verse here. Let's check out this verse. I think it's here. Yes, Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. The Apostle Paul, you know, the guy that by the Holy Spirit wrote a, a good amount of the New Testament, um, explaining it in the Gospel. He prays that he would be clear on this message. That's how important this is to him. How about us? For you and I, It's pretty simple. We need to go through this regularly. Not only will it be good for our own spiritual lives, but good for those around us, that this is clear and fresh in our minds and in our hearts. Who is Jesus? What did he do? And what must we do? So let's not forget, as I did eight years ago in Costa Rica, the importance of preparation. The case of Peter and Cornelius teaches us that in terms of our witness, preparation includes the hearts of others. Preparation includes an open heart on our part. Preparation includes time with God. And preparation includes a clear message. And so as a conclusion, and while I'm saying this, I want to just ask the band to come up and uh, begin to get ready for our final song. As a conclusion, this is what I want to do. Uh, I want to give us opportunity to take... Action. I don't want this series to end without us taking action. And I was so encouraged last week as I saw people and heard about people already taking action as witnesses. So I want to give us things that we can do just as a review that we can start taking action on as witnesses. Four things. Four things. Number one, the prayer walk next week at 4.30. Prayer walk next week at 4.30. We're going to go throughout the neighborhood and just pray for the area surrounding the church. So number one, prayer walk. And I hope that we can, this is something that we can build into the rhythm of who we are and just keep doing. Number one, prayer walk. Number two, come before God in prayer and ask him to open your heart to certain people in your life. Ask God to open your heart to certain people in your life. Whether it's your coworkers, your neighbors, family members, to open your heart and not be closed as a witness. And number three, cultivate that, that dedicated time with God every day, starting with seven minutes. Seven minutes with God, okay? And then number four, deliberately recall the core message of the gospel more than once this week. Who is Jesus? What did he do? And what must we do? There's four things there, and I want to encourage you to start with two, two that you can start with today, two that you can start with this week, and and you can add others eventually, but start with two this week, and let's start taking action. I believe that we can do this, and I'm excited to see what will happen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and pray that you would have your way in us for those who came ready today, for those who you made ready even today, by the work of your Holy Spirit, I pray that today would be the day uh, where they cross the line of faith, like we saw with Cornelius and his household, where they're just ready to believe and turn their lives to you, God. I just pray that. And I pray for us, uh, people who do believe in you, that you would have your way in us. Have your way in us as witnesses, God, and lead us forward in what this looks like in our lives. Help us to be witnesses who are more and more prepared. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.